thrilled to introduce you to my good friend Sam. This is Sam Martin. Uh, Sam will be bringing the message this morning. Sam's down with us uh, from his church in Auckland, Valley Road Church, right in Mount Eden, right along the, the main road there, just out on the edge of the village in Mount Eden, and we're thrilled to have you here, Sam. Sam will be bringing the next message in our current sermon series called Embodying Renewal. This is a sermon series that David kicked off last Sunday, uh, where we're leaning into this season in the church calendar called Eastertide. Anyone know what Eastertide is about? Well, it's about Jesus, but it's in, in the church calendar, it's this period of time between the resurrection of Christ and the coming of the, out, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So it's kind of that 50-day period, 40 days until Christ ascended and returned to heaven, and then another 10 days until Pentecost. Uh, and so thrilled to have Sam here bringing the, the next installment in this series as we talk about what it means to embody renewal. And it's a, a really fitting kind of topic and theme to be focusing on at this time of year in terms of the church culture, uh, church calendar. Um, and, and particularly thrilled that Sam's here. Sam's become... Uh, not just a good friend, he's become like a brother in a lot of ways uh, to me. We, we met uh, the first time over 10 years ago in California. Sam was studying at Fuller Seminary in uh, Pasadena in, in Los Angeles and uh, we had family living in the area at the time so we went out visiting family and showed up at the same barbecue or something like that and that's how we met. Uh, and then our paths have crossed, uh, we've, we've crossed paths you know, numerous times since that point in terms of us coming to New Zealand as well. And, uh, but, but Sam's got some really interesting connections into the life of our church here at the well. So while this is his first time being here in worship, uh, Sam's probably most important role here in the life of our church is as Uncle Sam to his niece Zinnia, who is Hannah and Isaac's wee three-month-old daughter. Uh, and so Hannah, Hannah and Isaac Beck, Hannah is Sam's, Sam's wife Katie is Hannah's sister. See if I can get that right. You've got to make sure you get these things right. They're sitting in the back there. So, kia ora. Welcome, Katie. Great to have you here too. Um, so, thrilled that, thrilled that you're here to bring the message. Sam leads a wonderful church called Valley Road Church. And you'll also know, some of you will remember Prakash and Liz, who are part of our church. Prakash and Liz have landed at Valley Road and now are part of a wonderful church there. I had the privilege of being there last Sunday and bringing a message um, at their church. And Prakash and Liz were there as well. And Sam described their church, you know, like we talk about, we want to be people who are awakened increasingly to experience and express the depth of God's love. That's who we want to be as people. Their church talks about wanting to be a family of disciples practicing the way of Jesus together. And I just think it's a beautiful description because that was really the sense that I had of their church, a real sense of family, togetherness, connectedness, real strong thing. So I was thrilled that Prakash and Liz have been knitted in and woven into that family. Uh, so we're thrilled that you're here. Uh, Sam, as, um, why don't you come on, come on over here and we'll pray a blessing on you as you bring the word for us this morning. Lord, we do thank you for Sam. We thank you for who he is and for whose he is, that he is yours, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the calling and the gifting and the anointing that is on his life. We just bless that and we say, fan it into flame for us this morning. Lord, would you speak mightily through him to each one of us? Lord, Fresh anointing, we pray, over Sam, over his mind and his heart and his spirit and his words for us. May they be your words for us this day, that it would shape and mold and form us increasingly in your image. So we pray you move mightily and you bless your word to each of us. Open our hearts and our minds that we would receive everything that you have for us today. 
We pray this in the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we all said together, Amen. 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 Bless you. Thank you, Clint. Kia ora. Good morning. The Well Church family, it is still morning. 11 a.m. is pretty, pretty cruisy start, but it's, um, <laughs> it's really good to be together. And um, it is the first time I've been here for worship, but it does feel familiar. It does feel like family. Zinni was waking me up at 4 a.m. this morning. I thought it was the voice of the Lord, but it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> but it's really beautiful to be together. And I also am really appreciative of Clint's friendship. As Clint mentioned, he was in the pulpit at our church last week. We didn't plan that, but kind of nice timing. Maybe we'll do a, do a house swap for a few months one day. We could. Um, but really appreciate Clint's friendship. We are in a, a group of pastors who have a growing friendship, and we call Clint Takuta, the doctor, the wise one, the one who comes to mend our souls. Um, but really grateful for Clint's friendship. When people are moving to Christchurch, I always highly recommend the Well Church. I say, come and pop in here. So really cool uh, to be with you this morning, and thanks for your, for your warm welcome to me. We're going to jump in to explore one verse of Scripture this morning. And as Clint mentioned, we're in this season of the church called Eastertide, between the resurrection of Jesus and Pentecost. It's a season of newness and anticipating the resurrection life of Jesus to be touching our lives in increasing ways. We are a people of hope. We look forward to what God will do in the renewal of all things at the end, but we want to taste that new life in our present moment as well. And so I love your theme, embodying renewal. And I hope the encouragement I bring this morning might touch on or invite us into this renewal we're called to embody. So why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 verse 8. We are going to work our way through one verse this morning. Let me read this verse and then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 5 verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word, this word which is God-breathed. And Lord, we pray this morning that this word would become living to us, that your spirit would breathe upon it, that it not just be information for our heads, but it might be transformation for our hearts. And so we do open our hearts, our ears, our minds to listen to what the spirit is saying to your church. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I've had a morning prayer pattern for a few years now, and part of that pattern is to pray through the Beatitudes, these first eight blesseds of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And at the beginning of this year, this one Beatitude kept jumping out at me and kept it pressing itself upon me. And I really feel that this invitation of Jesus in Matthew 5, 8 might be something for us this year, and particularly at a season like Eastertide as we are being called into new things. Maybe here is an invitation to this renewed life, which is to be characterized by a deep devotion to Jesus. 
And so today we have one really simple question. What does it mean to be pure in heart? That's our question, and I've entitled this sermon, The Unmixed Heart and the Renewed Life. And so I want to begin with a parable, and this comes from a great little book called Soul Keeping by a writer called John Ortberg. And he tells this story. Maybe you want to try and imagine this picture. There was a town in the mountains that grew around the banks of a beautiful stream. And this stream was fed by old springs which came down from higher in the hills. And the water of the stream was beautiful and clear. You could see right to the bottom. You could see the rocks. Swans swam on the stream, fish within it, and children were drawn to it. They laughed and played in the water. Now, higher up in the hills, away from the town and invisible to everybody, there lived an old man who served as keeper of the springs. And he had been hired so long ago that not everyone remembered that he was there or the work he was doing. Anyone seen office space? Anyone have a job like that? You've been hired so long ago. (laughs) You don't even have to show up and you still get the paycheck. (laughs) But invisible from everyone, he worked hard among the springs and he would remove fallen leaves from the springs. He would look out for branches or dead animals or debris and he would take out of the water anything which would pollute it. Well, one year, the town council came together and they thought it was time to tighten the budget. This is what's happening for us in Auckland. Maybe you too, I don't know. And the council said they needed to direct their money to more important things. And because everyone had basically forgotten about the work of the keeper of the springs, they thought that it was no longer justified to employ him. So his work ended to save costs. But what happened? Well, you might guess what happened. Gradually over time, those springs, because no one was attending to them, they became polluted by many things. And for a while in the town, no one really noticed. But things began to slowly change. The water of the stream began to look different. The swans were the first to fly away. The children no longer wanted to play beside it or in it. And then some people in the town began to fall sick. The beauty of the stream was no more, and the town suffered. Ortberg says the life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. Well, after some time, the council came back together and they realized they'd made a big mistake. They found some money and they rehired the old man. And so slowly he cleaned the springs. The stream became pure. The children returned to play on its banks. Illness was replaced with health. The swans came back and the village came back to life. And Ortberg concludes by reflecting on this parable and he says, the life of a village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is your soul or your heart and you are the keeper. And in keeping with our series, we might say a town was renewed when the stream became pure and that stream is our heart. I think this is something like what Jesus is saying when he says, blessed 
are the pure in heart. Let's explore that a little bit more. That word blessed is subject to lots of debate. When you've been reading the Bible for 2,000 years, you've got lots of time to think about single words, and that's what we've tended to done in church tradition. But that word blessed is a declaration of what a good life looks like. The Old Testament equivalent of that word appears in a famous psalm, Psalm 1. Happy, happy is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. So to announce someone as blessed is a way of announcing that this is a good place to be, this is a good way to be in light of God's kingdom. So we could say that the community of pure hearts is observed and celebrated as happy, fortunate, my favorite translation, flourishing, or we might say embodying renewal. Before we go any further, let's look at this word heart. In English, heart has become a metaphor for our emotional life. We say things like, I have a heavy heart, my heart is broken. But this is not the case in the Bible. Through Scripture, the heart refers to something much wider. Heart speaks of the whole inner person. So yes, it includes feelings, but also will intellect, mind, desire. We could say the heart is the control center of our lives. It's where we make our decisions. It's from where we direct our passion. So kind of building a case here, we could say the renewed and flourishing one in God's kingdom has a pure inner person. Well, let's explore that a little bit further. Readers of this beatitude often notice that it sort of alludes to or echoes to Psalm 24. And having a look at Psalm 24 is going to help us in our interpretation. Psalm 24, verse 3 to 6 says this, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? In other words, who can come into the close presence of God? Those who have clean hands and, listen for it, pure hearts. Who do not lift up their souls to what is false and who do not swear deceitfully. And I think this psalm is going to help us to understand what it means to be pure in heart. And I want to briefly outline three ways we can understand what it means to be pure in heart. And I think the third one is really going to bring that together. So if you're drifting, drift for the first two points and then join me on the third one. I'll give you a cue. Number one, to be pure in heart is to have an inner person cleansed of sin and sinful desire. And I think this may be what first comes to our minds. In the metaphor of water or the stream, we might think of the pure stream as unpolluted. The pure stream is a stream free of those things which are not good and not beautiful. When Psalm 24 asks, who can stand in God's presence? It says, those who have clean hands and pure hearts. That great Psalm of David, Psalm 51, as he repents for his terrible sins of murder and adultery, what does he pray? He says, Lord, 
Create in me a clean heart. O God, cleanse my heart from sin, from wanting the wrong things. Lord, reorder my desires. And this emphasis will continue through the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus speaks of those obvious outward sins, murder and adultery, remember he locates the origin of those sins in the heart. He says they come out from the inner person, desires which are wrongly directed. So number one, to be pure in heart is to have an inner person cleansed of sin and sinful desire. Now, I remind you guys, you are a Wesleyan church. Did you know that? I know some of you knew that. It's on the sign, I think. You're a Wesleyan church. And one of the great gifts of the Wesleyan church, and Clint will be able to tell you much more about this, um, is an emphasis and an invitation into holiness. An emphasis on the call of God's people to personal holiness and holiness as communities and then wanting that holiness to touch um, the world. But this call to inner lives, which is so dedicated to God, to be holy is to be set apart, to live differently, to resist sin and sinful desires. And I wonder if we are being called back to this, that this will be a marker of what it means to embody renewal, is a new commitment to lives dedicated and set apart to God. My mum and dad became Christians and came to Christ a little bit later in life. They're probably in their late 20s or 30s. And they were living in Fiji at the time. My dad often tells a story. It was through the receiving of communion, actually, that he was drawn to Jesus. And in their day, when they came to Jesus, their conversion was radical. It was a turning away from the ways of the world. It was leaving behind something to come to Jesus. And my dad tells the story that for him, to leave behind the ways of the world was to get rid of some of his previous influences. He loved music, and he had a collection of great records. And as part of his conversion, he took his Beatles records, and he burnt them. And I say to dad today, what in the world were you doing? That in itself is sinful, ironically, in his turning from sin. <laughs> and I am not recommending you destroy your Beatles records. And if you get close to that thought, talk to me first. I will help you in your conversion. However, as strange as that may sound to us, today I do not think we are at risk of that sort of radical direction we may be more at risk on the other end of the spectrum. What do I mean? I ask myself, am I willing to give up anything for Jesus? Am I willing to hear the call of obedience, which means there are things to leave behind? There are things where I should be thinking, I don't want this to come into my inner person. I don't want this to come in through my eyes or my ears. This call to holiness, I think, will be a marker of our embodying of renewal. Number two, to be pure in heart is to live a life of integrity and wholeness. And by that, we mean a life where our outward actions and our inner lives are in harmony. This is the opposite of what the Gospels call hypocrisy, which is where we wear a mask as an actor on the stage. Our outside is different from our inside. 
And again, we see this in Psalm 24. Psalm 24 describes the pure-hearted person as one who does not swear deceitfully. In other words, they're not pretending. They're not putting something on the outside which is different from the inside. And I think we sometimes speak of things as being pure in these terms. If you are a lover of music or books or sport, you may debate with your friends around whether something is the real thing. And we often say it's not pure. You're listening to a band and you're saying, is this really pure rock and roll? Or is it a little bit of something else? Is this really pure jazz or is this kind of not the real thing? If you're into sport, you say, he's not really a pure batsman. And by that we mean the outside is a bit different from the inside. It's not the real thing. When we talk about pure water, we imagine it as transparent. What you see on the surface is what you see on the bottom. And I think this is important for us because one danger in speaking of the heart or the inner person is that we might de-emphasize life in the body and in relationship and in the world. But the person in the Bible must be holistically understood. Luke chapter 6 says this. I love this. The good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good. Inner life, outer life, holistically, the person is described as good. And so number two, to be pure in heart is to live a life of integrity and wholeness. Again, I think this will be a marker of what it means to embody renewal. Some of you may have followed what was happening at Asbury University a few weeks or months ago. You may have heard of this, a beautiful touch of the Spirit of God, a chapel service, no plan, students going about their week as normal, but the Spirit of God touched that community in such a way that it led to weeks of unbroken prayer and worship and repentance and a real gentle touch of God. Beautiful, um, beautiful touch, again, in the, in the Wesleyan tradition. But Pete Gregg, who was the leader of 24-7 prayer, he visited Asbury to see what was happening. And he had heard many people say, this movement of God is without leaders. It's a leaderless movement. And Pete Gregg visited, and he said, after observing what was happening, he said, that's actually not true. He said, there's very strong leadership at Asbury, and there are people holding this move. He said, the difference was, what I'm seeing is humble leadership. And he said, when we see humble leadership, it's so unfamiliar to us, we think there's no leaders. But Pete made the point that this is such a beautiful grace of God, especially to young people and a generation who have seen hypocrisy, who have been let down by Christians who are one thing on the outside, but something different on the inside. And so we are being called to this integrity, and our world needs it of us. But number three, and if you've been drifting, come back now. Number three, and finally, what I think should be central to our understanding of what it means to be pure in heart is this. To be pure in heart is to have a singular or wholehearted devotion. 
Psalm 24 describes the pure-hearted one as one who does not lift up their soul to what is false. In other words, a person whose life is totally oriented towards God and not other things. See, a pure thing is a single thing. That is, a pure thing is something which is unmixed, uncontaminated. We can think of it like this. What is pure gold? Well, pure gold is simply just gold. It's gold not mixed with any other element or metal. That's why we call it pure. Same with water. What is pure water? Well, it's just water. It's one thing. It's water without additives or things being mixed in with it. This tells us that for something to be pure, it is to be single. Soren Kierkegaard, Danish philosopher, famously wrote this, purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing, to want only one thing, to desire only one thing, to be single in devotion. Augustine centuries earlier called this the simple heart. A heart undivided in allegiance and so rightly directed. The pure in heart, he says, have hearts and minds given over wholly to the will of God. And I think this is so important for us. We live in this time of wanting to keep our options open, of many distractions of being pulled this way and that way. And it leads to, we might say, diluted inner persons. This is what the book of James calls the double-minded person. Literally translated, that is the two-souled person. But the pure in heart are being called away from half-heartedness. And this is why Jesus always says you cannot have multiple allegiances. Over and over again, Jesus will say this. You cannot love God and money. You cannot have two lovers. Having two lovers will never end well. I think we know that. And so God is calling us to this singular devotion, freeing us from being divided selves. We are being called to will one thing. And what is that one thing? Jesus himself, intimacy with him and following after his way. And Jesus says this leads to flourishing. This will lead to a renewed life. I love an artist called Marco Fujimura. And if you have not seen his stuff, go and Google it later. I know your phones are off now, but you can look at that after the service beautiful Christian artist and has done some amazing work. And I was listening to an interview with him and his wife. Now, both him and his wife are exceptional people doing beautiful work in the world with many demands upon their time. Marco is an artist. He travels a lot. He teaches. His wife works against human trafficking. Again, she's in high demand. She's often traveling and called into various places. But in this interview, I found it really interesting that at the beginning of their marriage, they made a commitment 
that they would never spend one night apart in their married life. Has anyone made that commitment? <laughs> no. They would never spend one night apart in their married life. And you have to realize that these are people who uh, have busy schedules and are called this way and that. To be able to do that, they're going to have to say no to a lot of things. And in reflecting on this, Marco said, we have to say yes and no to things. But these self-imposed limitations help to amplify our commitment and our passion. By choosing the one thing, he realized, this helps to amplify our commitment and passion. It doesn't minimize it. So when we are called to will the one thing, Jesus above everything else, it does mean we will have to say no to some things. It does mean we have to think about what comes first in our life. And that does not minimize our flourishing. In fact, it actually maximizes it. Doug Webster says this, being a disciple is not a hobby. One does not take up the easy yoke, the, one, the way one takes up golf. The Christian life becomes an impossible burden when it is lived part-time or approached half-heartedly. Following Jesus requires everything else in life to be integrated with our commitment to Christ. And so I think this way of understanding what it means to be pure in heart actually pulls us all together. That when we will the one thing, Jesus, that will lead other things to fall into place. That will mean that our outside lives and our inside lives become integrated. That will mean that we journey towards holiness. Bonhoeffer, interestingly, in speaking of lust, said this. He said, the essence of chastity, and chastity is a bit of an old-fashioned word, but chastity speaks of sexual purity. He said, the essence of this is not the suppression of lust. I always found this interesting. Aren't we meant to be suppressing lust? But he says, this isn't where you begin. The essence of chastity is not the suppression of lust, but the total orientation of one's life towards a goal. Without such a goal, chastity is bound to become ridiculous. In other words, in our pursuit of holiness, or even in the Christian life in general, the Christian life is not meant to be characterized by us sitting on our hands trying not to do bad things. Anyone tried to do that? Lock yourself in the room, try not to do bad things? Where did that get you? Not very far, probably. Rather, we are compelled by the goal. Our eyes are set on Jesus above every other thing. Our hearts are captured by his beauty. And then as we are set on him, our lives will surely come into the way of holiness. So let's begin to come towards a close. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Ortberg says, The life of a village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is our heart and we are the keepers. Blessed are the pure in heart. And so I believe that God is calling us to this unmixed heart and the renewed life that flows from it. See, Jesus describes the community or the person with a pure in heart 
is blessed, fortunate, happy, flourishing, living a renewed and life-giving life. And I think, of course, we all want that. I want that. We want a fruitful and joyful and good life. But so often, if you're like me, we go seeking for it outside of Jesus alone. We imagine we will find it in some other place. But Jesus calls us to himself. This flourishing life he promises is not an easy life. It's not a life free from suffering or pain. But it is a life that is truly good. And we don't have time for it today, but Jesus will go on to say, the pure in heart will see God. There will be an intimate knowing of the God of love. But there is a paradox here. To find this flourishing and renewed life, we are not called to find it by going for it directly. What do I mean? Well, cast your mind back to our parable of the keeper of the stream. Imagine if that old man, the keeper of the stream, was hired and he was told, here's your job description. Your job description is to revitalize a whole town, to grow healthy children, to attract a variety of animals to this community, to make sure every child grows with healthy and good teeth. That's a big job description. That's a big task. Where in the world would you begin? But rather than aiming for that end, the old man keeper of the stream is actually called just to focus on one very simple thing. Just care for the stream. Just care for the stream. Everything else will follow from that. And I think this is true of us too. Our first task towards a renewed life is simply a deepening life with Jesus. A deepening life with Jesus following his way, a renewed devotion, and let everything else follow the way God will allow it to follow. One writer says this, those who do seek the kingdom find that various other flourishings often follow, but not when directly aimed at. Much of what we want in the way of happiness, wisdom, and goodness cannot be gotten for by trying for it. It's like trying very hard to fall asleep or have a good time. Isn't that so true? C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Your real new self, we might even say your renewed self, will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him, Jesus. He goes on to say, this applies to everyday things. You will never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking about what sort of impression you are making. <laughs> the same principle runs through all of life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you'll find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. I love that. Look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. And so I think there's an invitation for us today from this simple text of scripture in this season of Eastertide, the season of new things and resurrection life 
there's an invitation for us to put first things first, to will the one thing, to make single-minded, full-hearted, unmixed devotion to Jesus our center and enter into the renewed life that he offers. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. And purity of heart is to will one thing, to want one thing, to desire one thing. What is the one thing? It is the answer of every Sunday school question. Jesus. <laughs> he is the one thing. And we are invited uh, to that unmixed devotion to him today. So I'm going to invite Alex and the team to come as we close in worship. And I hope that this might be an encouragement to us and an invitation today. Jesus calls us to turn and face him. And the good news of the gospel is that God's face is already turned towards us. His love towards us is constant and faithful. We are the ones who so often turn away. But God's heart is turned towards us just as the father is waiting and ready to embrace the prodigal son. We are then called to turn back to him. The Bible calls this repentance. It's the beginning of the renewed life to say, I acknowledge in the words of one of my favorite hymns, my heart is prone to wander. I acknowledge that my heart is prone to leave the God I love. I love that line, recognizing I love God, but I'm still prone to wander away from him. I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to leave the God I love. But today, there's an invitation to turn back to the loving arms of God. To say, Lord, I want to again place you in the highest place. I want to desire you as the one thing. And maybe you're even at a point where you might pray, Lord, I want to want you. Lord, I desire to desire you. I don't even know if I can genuinely say my heart's desiring you, but I desire to desire that. And that's a good starting point. And God responds to that faith. So I'm going to pray, and as we worship in response this morning, maybe there's an invitation just to come to Jesus and say, I noticed how mixed my heart is. He knows already. He is faithful and just to forgive but Lord, I desire that unmixed devotion and that renewed life that you offer. I know we have a team willing to pray with you. And as we respond in worship, let's just turn our faces to Jesus in that way. Let me pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ the one who gave himself fully for us, who has now risen from the grave, who is renewing all things. And even our own broken lives and mixed hearts are caught up in that renewal. So Holy Spirit, touch us afresh this morning. May there be here a meeting place with you. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore a steadfast spirit within me. Do that work in our lives, Lord. We are open to your touch. You are the potter and we are the clay. 
We trust your careful hands to soften our hard hearts or to mend our broken hearts or to bring courage to our timid hearts or to reshape our hearts after your Son, Jesus Christ. So we pray, come Holy Spirit, move amongst us, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name.